It's God's light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. As children, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. It's going to be a great day. Um, you know, today, um, here on this campus, we have 20 people scheduled to be baptized right after this service. Isn't that awesome? And... Uh, and then, right now at our, our, at our Calvary campus, there were 10 that, that are scheduled to be baptized there today. And so God is just it's cool. And, um, and I want you to know, if you're here today and you've not followed through with baptism, we're ready for you today. You could be baptized today. We have shorts and shirts and we have everything you would need. And, uh, and so I just want you to know that. It's going to be a great day. Then uh, after our baptism this evening, our chorale is singing, having a concert in this place. And, and I'll tell you, it's just going to be a great day. Um, you know, um, I have a cousin that grew up on the mission field. All my, my uncle was a missionary in Brazil, and, and uh, they, they all grew up on the mission field. And Christina, Christina lives in Seattle now, and, and uh, she is the greatest prayer warrior I've ever known. And uh, she prays for me every day. I saw her at a wedding uh, just a couple weeks ago, and she said, Chris, I still pray for you every day. And it's amazing to me to, to, I'm so glad I get to know her. And she's seen God do so much through her life on the mission field with her parents. And, and it's just, she's a cool believer to hang out with. And, um, you know, uh, have you ever had a moment in your life where you realize God just saved my life? I, he just rescued me. Um, I, I, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm constructionally challenged. I, I, I fired myself at Council Road from doing anything construction at our church and on one particular day. I fired myself. Um, we had uh, built this building at my former church called The Cube, and it was a really cool building, and just we saw God do incredible things, and I was, I was so pumped about it, and it was so fun. And uh, one day I had ordered these uh, banners to go in the parking lot on all the light poles, and uh, rather than waiting for our facilities crew to put that up, I thought, man, I can do this. So I grabbed one of our, uh, our facilities guys. I said, Eric, today we're going to build scaffolding in the parking lot, and we're going we're gonna to put these signs up. And he's like, all right, oh, that's fine. And so we build the scaffolding, and, man, I got these, these signs up. They looked amazing. And I had one sign left. And I thought, man, i got to put this up. I'm on a roll, man. We're in a zone here. And uh, so I said, Eric, see that pole across the street? Because the cube was on, on the north side of 30th Street in Oklahoma City in Bethany, and the, and the main campus was on the south side. I said, man, we're going to put this on one pole on the south side. Man, let's do it. And so I get the scaffolding, and I start pushing. I, I head, head off. I'm, I mean, I'm, cross, I'm about to cross 30th Street. And as I'm pushing the scaffolding, all of a sudden, I kind of just hung up, and I just kind of let go of it. And then all of a sudden, I hear this, this explosion and this arc of electricity. And I realized I just pushed this scaffolding into the electrical lines above 30th Street. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the wire that holds the telephone lines before explodes and goes whew, whew, 
all the way down 30th Street. I was like, oops. <laughs> so, um, somebody, somebody's going to notice that. Um, and and, and I, I realized what happened, and Eric and I are standing there, and I go, hmm. And, and the, the top of the, of the scaffolding has a little black welded mark on it. I said, Eric, it's been a good day. It's time to go home, man. And uh, so we, uh, we put that, took that down. And I, there was an electrician of, uh, that was one of our youth workers. And he walked up to me and he put his hand, hand on my shoulder and said, hey, I love you. Hey, don't do that again. And uh, it just is not your day. It was not your day to go. And uh, I thought, hmm, that was a good day. I went home, hugged my kids, and had dinner. Um, but uh, we're starting this series. We're, we're ending this series today that we've been calling Ecclesia. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a term in the, in the scriptures, in, a, in the Greek, it means church. And it literally means the called out ones. And what we've been doing over the last several months, we've been going through the book of, the, the book of Acts, and we're finishing the first part of the book of Acts. And we'll come back to it at some time uh, later. But, but we're ending Acts today. Next week, we're starting a new series in the book of Psalms because this is a good break in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to look in the Old Testament next week, uh, a series through the end of the summer. But, but this passage in Acts 12 is a phenomenal passage. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Acts chapter 12. And, um, and, and honestly, this passage has so impacted me. This week, I sent a message to two of my closest friends and said, this is the text for my funeral service, just so you know, so you know the two guys that are going to speak at my funeral. I've already picked that out. I'm strange like that. But, but Acts 12 is such an incredible passage of Scripture because you see the church being called out. Now, this is an important idea. The early church, uh, it, there's a reason that term ecclesia, the called out ones, is applicable to us today because, because as a church, we get this wrong sometimes. We think, oh, I got to bring people into our church. And absolutely, we should invite people. I invite people to church all the time. But we've got to catch the fact that as a church, we are called out by God to go out into the world. And so this is important for us that we understand this. Now, Acts chapter 12 is this incredible moment in the life of the church. If you have your Bibles open there, and let's stand together, and we're going to read Acts 12, 1 through 5 together, but I really want you to hold tight in this passage because we're going to, we're going to stay through, we're going, to, we're going to walk through this entire chapter. Verse 1 says this, about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, um, you know, it's interesting to me to recognize God's plan for us as a church, God's plan for our lives. Can I tell you a burden that I had? I had a conversation this week. It just burdened me. I was, I was talking to a lady, and, and I, I was 
we were talking about church. And she said to me, you know what? Church needs to be convenient for me. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, that just grieved me. And I didn't rebuke her in front, like we were in a setting, and I, 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 it wouldn't have been appropriate for me to just to go off on that. But, but I, I've, I've been thinking about that. That for so many Christians in America, that we're about convenience. And you know, when I think about the church that's called out by God, and it's something I pray we get and we catch, that, that we're a church not to, we're, we're not called to convenience. And so many of our, of our American comforts are pushing us to convenience. And we forget, no, we're called out by God to be men and women who trust the Lord, who walk with the Lord, who pay attention to his voice, and we're not about our convenience. You don't want to stand before God. I don't want to stand before God and, and look at the Lord on my last day. If that would have been my last day on earth when I was pushing that scaffolding, I pray that the Lord would have found me right in the middle of his will. Right in the middle of serving him and honoring him. Folks, I pray the Lord moves us to a life of passion and of being sold out to Christ. Not a, not a life of convenience. Our experience here together as God's people should never be convenient. It should be focused. It should be intentional. It should be passionate. It should be engaging the, 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 the Spirit of God. That's where the church was. Now look at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now who's this Herod here? You know, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who, when Jesus was born, remember he, he issued that edict that all these babies should be killed? That was Herod the Great. That was his grandpa. Okay, this is not Herod Antipas, who was the one at the time of Christ when, when he mocked Jesus. Herod Antipas knocked, mocked Jesus. He was the one that beheaded John, John the Baptist. And, and that's not this Herod. This is the grandson, the, the, the heir of, of those men. And, and this guy's not much better than those guys. And, and it says right here, he laid violent hands on the believers. Now what, what happened? Verse 2 says he killed James the brother of John with the sword. Now, this is a big deal. This is the first apostle to be martyred. The, the, John was, a, was one of the sons of thunder. He was, he was the one, remember, Jesus had his three main guys, Peter, James, and John, and this is a guy that's close to Jesus. What's interesting about this, we don't see this in the text, but we know this to be true, that it, it's right to infer this from the text, that the church was praying for John. They were praying for him. And what's interesting is John was right in the middle of God's will. He was serving the Lord. I mean, I mean he was, he was um, a leader in the church. And look what happened. He's killed. He's killed with the sword. I mean, it's interesting that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, puts one sentence in, yeah, John was, was killed by the sword. This was, a, this was a hammer blow to the early believers. This would be like one of our staff members being arrested, taken downtown Tulsa, and publicly executed. I mean, think about what we would re, how we would respond that next Sunday as we came together and thought, oh my goodness, man, John was killed. He's dead. 
And what's interesting is this is one of those instances in Scripture where the people were praying. I mean, people were praying for their leaders. And, and look, God said no. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that sometimes when we pray, God says no? Sometimes when we um, go through tough times, the Lord doesn't stop it. God didn't stop James's death. You know, what's interesting is the, he was a young man. He was younger, the first apostle to be killed. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's important that we recognize. You would think that, that this would be like John would have divine protection, but, but he died. But see, you know that God never promised that every prayer that we pray would be answered yes? You know, this week, I had a... I met a young Marine came to my office on Monday and I, and I was sitting with him and we're talking about the Lord and you know what he said to me? He said, you know what, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in him. He said, I, I go, well, how? Why? Tell me about that. Why, why? Why do you not believe in him? He said, you know, when I was younger, my best friend died and people prayed for him and he still died. And, and as he sat there and told me a story, and I could relate to him. He was in my office, and if you know my story, I mean, my, my ambassador baseball stuff is all over my wall. And I said, you lost a friend, man. I'm so sorry. Look, I, I understand that. I said, turn around. And he looked at my wall, and I, I got up, and I pointed to four pictures of David Valorand on my wall. You know, that's one of my best friends. I preached his funeral nine months ago. And tragedy broke my heart. 40-year-old died right in front of his wife and children as he's helping somebody on the side of the road. Gets hit by a car, rollover accident. Killed him instantly. Right in front of his wife. And I had to go stand and preach his funeral. I go, man, I want you to know I, I understand losing a friend. But you know, it's puzzling to me that we live in this this world that teaches that oh, if you obey God or if you follow Christ, that it'll always go well with you. You know, there are tough times that happen in life. You, you know what? I, the point I want us to get today, point number one, if you're following along, God has determined every person's last day on the earth. You know that God has determined that that every person's last day on the earth has been determined by God. And here's James, it, it was his last day right here. And, 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 and it, was, it was pleasing to the Lord. He, God allowed him to die that day. And, and see, there's a lot to think about there as a believer, as a follower of Christ. Do you think James was fearful of death? No, he wasn't fearful of death. I mean, I mean the, the, James had watched Jesus die and then he saw him rise from the dead. James wasn't afraid. What's interesting about the church, they were brokenhearted about the loss of James, but, but you know what? It didn't stop their faith. You see all through the book of Acts, they go through these tough times and they, st they never stop trusting in God because they had grown to understand a proper perspective of death. You know what Hebrews 9, 27 says this, and just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, that all of us have an appointed day. And, when, and there's a day that God has set to be your last day on the earth. And right there was, was James' last day. 
And what's interesting is, is as believers, we're called to grow spiritually. And, and I want us to be a group of people that, that have, a, have a right understanding of the, the, the reality that, look, God has determined our days. Now, spiritual growth is necessary for us because spiritual growth helps us put death in the right perspective. And this is important for all of us, that, that we as believers have to understand death, that death is not the end, that death for a believer, on that day we finish our race, it will be a great and glorious day. But sometimes we hold too tightly to this world. And as a believer, we've got to have a proper perspective about death. Spiritual maturity, you know what it does? It not only helps us embrace a proper um, uh, perspective on death, but, but it helps us, enables us to embrace God's will. And see, do you know that God has a will for us? That God has a plan for us, that God, God's will is, is at work. That's why we're taught to pray, um, Father who art in heaven, your will be done, right? And so right here, you see this incredible thing unfold as, as James, the first apostle, is martyred. But look at verse 3. Um, he, Herod, he kills James when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of, of unleavened bread. And now Peter gets arrested and, and, and Herod sees, hey, you know, he's a people pleaser. He was a devout Jew. We know about Herod that the Jews respected him from this passage. And uh, he kept the law and, and so they, they, this pleased them. So after arresting him, verse 4, he put Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, now think about this. P Herod really overdid it here. I mean, he put 16 soldiers in charge of of Peter. Why? Well, Peter had escaped before. Remember? Peter had, had walked out of prison and, and, and then he showed up in the, in the courts preaching right after he got out of prison. Well, Herod was like, dude, you're not escaping this time. He put 16 Roman soldiers to guard him. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but note that, notice verse 5, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What's interesting to me is even though James had died, um, the church kept praying. They kept saying, we got to pray for Peter. And Peter's about to be executed. And, and I love this. Now, point number two that I want us to catch today is that intentional prayer is a desperate need in our lives. And i got to tell you, this is something that I feel. I'm not speaking at you. I'm talking with you. And can I confess to you that we are a church that must learn how to pray. Folks, we got to grow in this. We're not, we're not as strong in prayer as we need to be. And I'm, and I'm sitting with you in that statement. I want to be a pastor that learns to pray. You know, when this young Marine was in my office Monday, I started, I was burdened for him. And we had a great dialogue and and he left, and we're, we set a meeting for Thursday, and I immediately got on my phone and texted our church council. I texted some men in our church and said, pray for him. Pray for him. Pray that God speaks. Pray for Thursday. I had a meeting with him on Thursday. Pray for him. And I, and I was just pleading with the Lord, Lord, I've just been studying a moment where you answered prayer. 
The church was earnestly praying. And, and, and God moves when people pray. We know James 5.16, James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his book that, that therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And folks, we've got to be right with God as believers that we are in life together. And this is why we've got to get to know one another and be together with one another. We've got to hold one another accountable. Confess your sins to one another. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now we see in scripture, anytime you study the church praying, you see that corporate prayer in scripture is often focused on one specific need. And right here, you see the church coming together to pray specifically for Peter to be rescued. And sometimes we think about prayer in church as, oh, we're going to pray for Aunt Susie's toe, and, and you know, we're going to do all, my dog died, and I'm, I cried when my dog died too. I, I mean, I was devastated. My pastor gave me time off when I, my dog died. But, but, but you know, the truth is, when you see corporate prayer in Scripture where the God moves, the church comes together for a single focus, and that's what's happening. The, the church comes together to pray for Peter. And folks, we've got we to look at this in the life of our church. Are we coming together to pray specifically? We've seen our church do that. We, we came together to pray for Calvary, and now 10 people are being baptized today over there. Oh, my goodness. You know, we, we prayed for the mission that we're building, and, and goodness, we prayed, and we watched God provide $500,000 in about a three-week period. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we've seen this, but we've got to learn this. We've got to learn to pray. And we've got to be a people that respond, to, respond when God moves us to pray. And this is why I pray that we are these believers every day that get up and say, God, I'm turning my face to you. God, I'm looking to you. That's where the church was here. They were, they were focused. They, they had seen the Lord move. And, and sometimes we are so complacent. And it burdens me as I, as I interacted with that lady that said, you know what, I, I want church to be convenient. Let me tell you something. I don't want to stand before the Lord and in my life and say, God, it was, when it was convenient to follow you, I followed you. No. None of us should be there. We must not ever be there. We must repent of that idea. And we can't follow the American comfortable Christianity, and thankfully, the persecution that is developing in our world, in our nation, that's going to cure that, because that usually does. But folks, right here, you see the church responding when God moves them to pray. And, and, and then when that happens, when we are a people that, that are moved to pray, guess what we ought to do? We ought to get ready for God to respond to us. Because God moves when we pray. Now you see this, and, and look at this, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, look at this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now I don't know about you, but, but if it was me, and I'll be honest, if it was the night before I'm going to be publicly executed, I think I would have a tough time going to sleep, right? Wouldn't you? But here's Peter going, dude, I'm about to, I'm going to die tomorrow. I've got to get some rest so I can be ready for this thing. You know? You know? And, and Peter's sleeping. Now, did Peter fear death? No, heck no, he didn't fear death. 
Peter had seen Jesus rise from the dead. He, he, he knew. Hey, look, death's not the end. And that's something we've got to recognize. Death is not the end, folks. Peter had a proper understanding of death. And what I love about this, this is so crazy. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. He's chained to two soldiers. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. And what's interesting is Peter, Peter thought he was going to die. I mean, Jesus had already told him, Peter, you're going to drink from the same cup I drink from. So Peter was like, this is it. I'm going to die today. But all of a sudden, verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. I mean, the soldiers are asleep. Chains fall off his wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Can you imagine the commotion of that? Chains hitting the ground. Peter's going, oh, what? Looking beside him, the guys are asleep. Angel's standing before him. A light is in the room. So it's not like it's, it's not obvious, right? And then all of a sudden, he gets up, and Peter's getting his clothes on. The guys are asleep. He says, verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. So here he is thinking, this is a dream. This isn't really happening. I'm, I'm having a dream here. Um, he, he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. Now, this is before, this is where they got the idea for automatic doors. Aren't you glad they did this? I mean, this had not happened before. And all of a sudden, they show up, and the door opens. Look at this. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Can you imagine Peter? going, what in the world? I thought I was dreaming, but here I am outside. I'm outside the gate, and I'm outside. I'm free. Oh, my goodness. God rescued me, and I want you to know that God sometimes answers yes to our prayers. And God, in this moment, the church is praying fervently for Peter to be rescued, and look, God does it. And, and see, the thing that's amazing here is God can be praised just as uh, passionately at James's death as he does at Peter's rescue. It's interesting to me because, um, you know, I, I, I want to be a church that prays. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself. Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. He rescued him. Verse 12, when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to the answer the door. And I love this. Rhoda, this is the only time she's mentioned in the scripture. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm funny about things. I thought, man, how cool would it be to have your name mentioned in the Bible? I can't wait to get to heaven and go, Rhoda, you're the girl. Yeah, cool. You know? And this is, and Luke, a lot of people make all kinds of theological uh, assertions about this moment with Rhoda. I think Luke goes, this is funny. I gotta, we got to put this in. This is funny. And Rhoda goes to the door. She hears Peter out there, and they're praying for Peter. And what does she do? It's so funny. Um, 
uh, it says, when she, verse, verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. What does the church say? They're, they're praying for God to rescue Peter. And she says, he's here. And they say in verse 15, you are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were like, God, you answered a prayer. Oh, my goodness, he's here. And Peter's like, I know, let me in. Come on. You're killing me out here. I mean, it's amazing. Verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James, now he's talking about James, the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor in Jerusalem. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He said, he said, and then he left for another place. And you know what's interesting to me about this, this moment? You remember last time Peter got released from prison, what did he do? He went back into town and he started preaching. But this time he left town. You know, what's interesting is we got to recognize this. God's going to answer our prayer. But do you know that God also tells us to use our brain? And, and what's, what's interesting, my, my, I had an experience like this. My brother is the missions pastor at Henderson Hills in Edmond. And, and um, several years ago, my nephew Josh um, was a college student. And he, was, he went on a mission trip by himself to Afghanistan. And his, his goal was he was going to fly into Kabul uh, and he was going to take a bus. He was going to buy all clothes, Muslim-type clothes, uh, when he got to uh, the, the main city. And then he was going to take a bus to our Southern Baptist missionaries that we support in Afghanistan. Do you know that we have missionaries in Afghanistan right now? Josh was going to meet with them. My brother, who's a very brave believer and an inspiration to me, was my youth pastor. He goes, Chris, I can't pray for Josh when we're at the airport. You're going to have to do it. I can't get through it. I said, okay. So our family gathered around Josh, and we're at the airport in Oklahoma City. And we prayed over, I prayed for Josh to be protected, for God to move, God to use him. And Josh said to me, you know what? He used a Jonah example. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather be in Afghanistan than in, her belly of, in the belly of a fish in Edmond. And he said, I got to go. My brother said something to him that I'll never forget. He said, Josh, there are stupid missionaries and there are old missionaries. Be an old missionary. I thought, that's a brilliant statement. Right here, you see Peter going, I think I want to be an older believer. Though he understood, look, there's hope when death occurs. He's like, not today. Uh, so I, he left town. In the morning, verse 18, I love this. There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. No kidding. I mean, they're chained to him. And they're like, that turkey got out. How in the world? We had 16 lethally trained soldiers. And a preacher got out. What in the world? 
Verse 19, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Now, Herod beside himself. What in the world? You see that God's plan is bigger than man's plan. You see, when God's at work, like we just sang, nothing can stop him. Sometimes I wonder if we believe that. Sometimes I wonder, like we sang this song, I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. And I think, you know what, Lord? Do we really do that or do we just sit on our rears? It's why I love standing in worship. Because we got to get off our rear as believers. But you know what else you see in this passage? And I want us to see this. A self-centered life produces terrible consequences. You see, we're not called to live for ourselves. We're called out to go serve the Lord. See, Herod missed all that. Herod was this self-centered leader. He was a Jew. He knew the prophecies. He knew all the things that talked about Jesus. He knew those things. But yeah, look what he did. He, he was, look at verse 19. He says, then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Verse 21, on the appointed, the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Right here, Herod is standing before the people of Israel, and, and he, they said, oh, you're like a God, and he received that. He said, yes, I am a God, and here is Herod, this man who had rebelled against the, the prophets and had, had, had rebelled against the words of Christ, had taken the men that were following Jesus, Jesus' closest personal friend, executed him, was about to execute Peter. Herod, just looking at the face of God, saying, I, I oppose you. And he receives this worship. Look at verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. Awesome. I mean, that's amazing. You know, verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now, there's a lot to learn here. But do you know what it shows? This is a parable how, how our prayers are ultimately answered. Do you know that, that you cannot rebel against the voice and the word and the plan of God and it work out. It will not. And folks, we live in this world 
that talks about the love of God, and the love of God is absolutely compelling and amazing. But we must not forget that God hates sin. God hates it so much that he himself entered human history and became sin for us. And all the time I see believers that will look at me and say, you know what, I know what God's word says, and I'm just not going to do it. God will forgive me anyway. We see in the life of Herod the devastating consequences of sin. Do you know that, that when you rebel against God, there, there are difficult consequences in this life? Don't forget that. When we rebel against God as individuals, when we rebel against God as a church, as believers, when we rebel against the voice of God, there are difficult consequences in this life. But folks, when we rebel against God, there are devastating consequences in the next. Now, as a believer, you know what the Bible says that, that you and I as believers, if you're a believer in Christ today, you've been forgiven. Do you know that we will ha appear before the judgment seat of Christ? 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you know that this is a judgment that is spoken of of believers? Now, when we stand before God as a believer, it's not going to determine whether we go to heaven or hell. That has been decided because of our faith in Christ. But when we stand before God, we will give an account for how we live. We must not forget that. I pray that none of us in this room today, that know Christ as Savior, that will ever, I pray that we will not utter those words, God, we want Christianity to be convenient. We want church to be convenient. Folks, it'll never be convenient to follow Jesus. Ever. It will never be easy to follow Jesus. And if a preacher gets up and tells you it's going to be easy to follow Jesus, he's lying. And he's not a good one. I want you to know we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is why we are to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. There, there, none of us want to stand before the Lord and look at him in the face, the one who died for us, and say, Lord, it just wasn't convenient for me to follow you. Golly. I pray we all hear that and, 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 and let that sink into our hearts. Oh, my goodness. Let that sink in. I want to hear that. That's not at you. That's sitting with you. Goodness gracious. We're going to stand before the Lord. That's going to be an amazing day for us. But it's going to be a day when we stand before him. We're going to have longed to be in the middle of his will and to give everything we have. That's why we got to be sold out. That's why without, without, without apology, I will be a pastor that pushes you to the word of God, pushes you to obedience, pushes you to surrender, pushes you to passionate devotion to our Savior.
But, but don't be mistaken for non-believers. The reason we have such an urgency, the reason that I, it breaks my heart and I pray that baptismal waters are stirred like they are today and that, that we ought to be broken for the lostness is because there's a day that judgment will happen for an unbelieving world. Revelation 20, 11 and 12 says this. This talks about the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And don't be mistaken, God is loving and it is amazing. But if you die, without Christ. You will be separated from God for eternity because just as God's love is real, hell is real. And we have pastors and churches that refuse to mention it. And folks, this is why we have got to be a church that recognizes and is broken for the lost world that we live in. You know, this Marine came to my office on Thursday. Man, we were praying for him. Praying for his salvation. And I said to him, you know what? There's a story in the Bible about a friend or, or a man who died. And it's not a parable. It's, it's not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus told it, but he didn't say it was a parable. I think it was an event that took place, that God opened the windows of heaven and eternity and helped us see into it. And he, I said, you know, this rich man died. And he said to Lazarus, this poor man who went to heaven, the rich man went to hell. He said, would you go back and tell my brothers not to come to this place? And you know what the Jesus, the, the tells this story. He says, look, he goes, the rich man says, if somebody comes back from the dead, they would believe. You know what Jesus did? He did exactly that. He came back from the dead, but yet people didn't believe. And I said to this young Marine, your friend would want me to be in front of you and plead with you, follow Jesus. And in my office, Thursday, he prays and receives Christ. Isn't that awesome? God, God saved him. And his eternal destiny was changed. I got to say to him, you know what? You're going to heaven. Are you? You know, if that would have been my last day pushing that scaffolding, um, I think I'd have got to the Lord, to the Lord and goes, that was kind of dumb, wasn't it, Lord? Shouldn't have done that. Uh, should have looked up. But God would have said, hey, you're ready. You know, I don't want to check out that day. But I'd have been ready. Are you ready? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Golly, don't leave this room today. 
Don't leave. Um, our staff's going to be down front. Brandon's going to lead us in a song. Don't leave today without knowing Christ is your Savior. If you're a believer today and you've been saying, God, I want convenience, and come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Repent of that. Would you allow the Spirit of God to move you? Because it is not an accident for you to be in this room. I need some of you to come and ask God to start teaching us how to pray. If you need to talk to somebody today, if you need to be baptized today, come. Would you stand?